If you grew up in Sunday school, if you went to vacation Bible school, uh, if you were part of a Christian school, then you know that there are those little songs that they teach you that kind of get burned into your brain, you know, those little kid songs, and, uh, and you'll be kind of just driving down the road one day, and all of a sudden a song will pop into your head, and it's from years and years ago, or somebody will say something, and instantly you're taken back to when you were five or six or seven years old, and there's that song in your mind, and, and you can't get rid of it. It's just there, right? Uh, one of those songs I learned uh, from Mrs. Coley, our very own Mrs. Coley. Uh, I don't think she's here today. I don't see Mrs. Coley. But she was my kindergarten teacher, and uh, she taught us this one song and uh, over and over and over. And then I heard it in vacation Bible schools, and I heard it in Sunday schools. And you probably know it. It goes like this. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key, do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. But you know, um, you probably know that song. How many knew, knew that song? You, you've heard it too. Yep, yep, there you go. And more than just being a cute little kid song, which it is, um, Jesus would agree with that, with that song, with everything that song says, and Scripture supports it. For example, he says this in Luke six forty six. Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say. And then in the rest of Scripture, we see this from the beloved disciple. John writes this in his epistle in 1 John, 1 John 2, 3 through 4. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Then James, one of my favorite books of all the Bible, says this, James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So there's a lot of emphasis on obedience being the very best way, in fact, the only way to really show what you believe. Actions always speak louder than words. And our society, our culture, we've been talking about this throughout this whole series, our society and our culture, we're very, very good at saying the right things. We're very good about knowing what to say and having the right words, the right language, the right lingo, right, the right church speak. But often, our actions and our lives lack the proof to back that up, or the way in which we live or go about life contradicts what we have said or what we claim to know. And I think sometimes we think that that obedience as a spiritual discipline will just happen. I think sometimes that's how we view it, like it's just going to automatically occur in our lives without any action or or intentionality on our part. There's a... um, 
There's a children's book that was written a few years ago, and there's a movie made about it. Uh, Ella Enchanted. Who has seen Ella Enchanted? Anybody? Okay. I have girls who not so long ago were little girls who loved all things princess. Not so anymore. (laughs) Sorry, give me a moment. Yeah, having trouble with them getting older. I really am. But, man, when they were younger, they loved Ella Enchanted. Loved it. Watched it over and over and over and over. And uh, Ella Enchanted is the story of Ella, who, as a baby, was visited by her fairy godmother, and she was gifted with obedience. So that any time someone orders, directly commands Ella to do anything, she has to do it, no matter what. It doesn't matter what she's doing at the time, where she is, she'll stop, she'll drop everything, become kind of robotic, and do that thing. It can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. And people manipulate that and use that against her. And despite everything she tries to do in resisting that command, she just has to do it. She has no choice in the matter. It's just an automatic thing. And it really ends up being a very torturous thing for her. And um, that's actually the opposite way that obedience works. It's totally opposite. Because... It's our responsibility as believers to choose to obey. Obedience really is a choice on our part, and it's a responsibility on our part to choose that. Because God didn't do to us what Ella's fairy godmother did. Sometimes, I'll admit, it might be nice if he did. You know, there, there are times in my life when I, when I realize how incredibly, um, horribly disobedient I can be and rebellious I can be by nature. You know, there's times where I'm like, God, why, why can't you just make this happen for me? Why can't you just make me obey you? Why can't it just be automatic? I'm sure you've, you've been there. You felt that, you know, that struggle, that internal war. And you say, God, wouldn't it just be so much better if you could just make me obey you? But God doesn't do that. Why? Because that kind of obedience isn't rooted in love. And that's exactly the kind of obedience God wants from us. He wants an obedience rooted in love. He wants a loving obedience. And if you think about your Christian life and all you know of God and all that you've received from Him and all that you know you have uh, in Christ and because of Christ, and you, you look at how He deals with people all through His Word, then it becomes pretty clear that obedience to God should be done out of love for God. That really is how it should work. That's really what we should desire. That's how we should think about it. We should view obedience in that way. Obedience to God should be done out of love for God. And Jesus, again, would agree with that. Here's what he said himself in John 14, 15. If you love me, which most of us here today would say, yes, I, I love Jesus. Maybe not as much as I should, not perfectly, but yes, I do sincerely love Jesus. And that's great. That's good. But he says, okay, if you love me, you, you say you do, if you love me, 
you will keep my commands. In other words, you will obey what I have told you to do. You'll obey what I've told you to be. Obedience, your obedience to me, Jesus says, is going to prove and demonstrate that, yes, you really do love me. See, it's all about the action. Um, We often tell this to our little boy, and those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about when um, we will tell him to do something. Uh, we'll, We'll say, go pick up your toys, go put that up, go get that for me, or stop doing that, don't do that anymore, no, put down the glass you know, jar or vase or whatever. Um, stop trying to throw things at the TV, you know, whatever it is, because we have Jack-Jack in our home, you know, from the Incredibles, Jack-Jack the baby. Um, we, have, we have that. And uh, before we had children, we had two Jack Russell Terriers, who, which are also Jack Russell Terrors. Um, and Leanne and I say all the time, man, those puppies were awful, but they prepared us for having a little boy. And um, so often we will say, Aiden, you're not listening. Aiden, what did we tell you? Aiden, you need to obey. And he'll just look at us and say, I love you. I mean, it didn't take long. I mean, he's five now. He started doing this when he was two. You know, it's, I mean, he just looks up and says, I love you, daddy. You're the best daddy in the world. I love you, mommy. And it's when we're correcting him, right? We're, we're correcting him for his disobedience. We're reminding him of his need to obey, pointing out that he's not doing it. And that's when he says, I love you. And we will often say, okay, Aiden, thank you. We're glad you love us. But if you really love daddy, if you really love mommy, you're going to do what we say. We say that all the time. We reinforce this all the time. That's what Jesus is saying to all of us all the time in our lives. Okay, you love me? Really? Okay, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. You're going to obey what I have to say. And really, the opposite is true. Don't bother saying, oh, you're the Lord of my life and I love you, if your life is totally opposite of what Jesus has clearly laid out in his word for you to do and to be. There's no point in saying, I love you, Lord. And we sing those songs, right? And it's really easy to do. But if our life doesn't back that up, we really should just not even bother saying or singing it. It's all about the actions showing and demonstrating the truth of our words. Matthew 22 uh, verses 34 through 38, there's a, a really great dialogue and discussion that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And, you know, they, they kind of get tired of being shown up, and, and so they put kind of their best man on the job of trying to catch him. Matthew 22, in verse 34, says this, "...when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees..." They came together, and you have to understand a little bit about that dynamic. Pharisees and Sadducees, they were kind of always at each other. They were the competing factions within the overall Sanhedrin, the Jewish governing body. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. Pharisees accepted both, so they're always disputing and and disagreeing with one another, always trying to prove each other wrong. So when the Pharisees heard that Jesus put the Sadducees in their place, they said, all right, now's our opportunity. Let's swoop in for the kill. And so uh, they sent one of them, one, like their best guy, their expert in all things law, to go and ask him a question, to try to catch him. That's what verse 35 says. One of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him, to test Jesus. And here's the question, the brilliant 
question that he came up with to try to, to catch Jesus and stump him. Verse 36, teacher or rabbi, which command in the law is the greatest? Because, you know, they view all of the law as equally important, right? Everything's important in there. You can't differentiate. So if he says there's one that's more important than the other, ah, we've got him. But look at this. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 37, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Verse 38 says this, this is the greatest and most important command. Why? Because everything else flows from that. That's the starting point. That's the foundation from which all other actions and acts come. Everything about obedience stems from that. That's the starting point. That's the source. That's the reason. That's the motivation for all of the rest of obedience. It all begins there. D.L. Moody commented on that, and I love what he had to say about this, this passage. He says this, If men were true to this commandment, to this greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, in other words, all of your being, if men were true to this commandment, obedience to the remaining nine would follow naturally. It is because they are unsound in this that they break the others. I agree with that. I think that's exactly spot on. I think that's right. And that's so hard to constantly, consistently do, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, isn't that our struggle? To really be able to say, yes, Lord, I love you with all of my mind, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, with everything I am, with every fiber of my being, I love you, Lord. I love you with all of me. I mean, that, that is the struggle. Therein lies the war. Because most of the time, while we may indeed love God, I'm not really calling that into question, but most of the time it's a split love. It's, it's a split allegiance. It's a split devotion. Because we love ourselves quite a bit. You know, we're really good at self-love. Wanting what we want. Pursuing what we want. Going after what we want to have. And looking at things through our lens. And, and having our agenda at the top. You know, and, and um, really making it many, many times all about me. I mean, that's what comes naturally. That's what comes easily. And so the Christian life really is one of constant war against that mindset, that mentality. It's fighting against that. It's resisting that. It's, it's surrendering that. And that's really what obedience is about. Think about it this way. In the middle of the word obedience, you can find the word die. Right there in the middle of obedience, die. And what that means for us is, as Christians, listen, obedience to God 
which we're called to, which shows we do love him, obedience to God requires that I die to self. And that's hard. It's really hard. And none of us want to do that. But it's about, it's about being Isaac. It's about willingly getting up on that altar, willingly being strapped down, and being willing to not have the knife stayed away from us, but rather to, to welcome it to come in and to end our self-love and our living for self and our self-exaltation. Being a Christian and being an obedient Christian really is a call to die, but once we do that, we find that we, and really only then, do we really live. And only in dying to self are we able to really love the Jesus we say we love so much. But it does require that I die to self. And, and here's the thing. We do this, and we find motivation to do that, that thing which is so hard, which goes against our very nature. We do this out of love and out of gratitude in response to the one that for our sake was obedient. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, like Philippians 2.8 tells us. Think about that. Here's Jesus, the creator of everything, the Son of God, equal with the Father, willingly coming to earth, taking on humanity, the humanity he created. He took that on to himself. He, though being God, Philippians 2 tells us, did not hold on to his divinity as something to just not let go of, to use for his own advantage, but rather he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. And when he was found in human form, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. If Jesus was willing, though being God and being the supreme king over all of the universe and the holder of eternity, if he was willing to humble himself to the point of obedience to the Father's will, to the Father's plan, above his own, he said over and over while he was here in his ministry, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The words I speak are not my own words, but him who sent me. Over and over he displayed obedience and humility. And if he was willing to do that for our sake so that we could be brought into love, so that we could be brought into life, then is there anything, any part of ourselves that we can rightly hold on to and say, no, mine? No. No. Everything is up for grabs and everything should be laid down in surrender and in obedience to the one who did that for our sake. But the struggle we have as Christians, it isn't whether or not we believe that. You know, everything I just said and, and what we have read in the Scripture up to this point, the struggle we have as Christians, it's not whether or not we believe that or agree with that. Because 
I'm thinking that most of you, if not all of you, have agreed with or believe everything I've said up to this point, without question. That's very likely. The issue isn't even whether or not we desire to obey and love God more. That's not even the problem. Because again, I think most of you would say, yes, I, I agree. I want to obey God with everything in me. I want to love God more than I do, and I know I need to. I want to love Him with my whole mind and my whole soul, my whole heart, my strength, my everything. I agree with all that. I want that. That is a desire. So none of those are the problem. That's not the struggle. The problem is we can't do it. Not consistently anyway. I I know I need to uh, have a life of obedience, a life of surrender, a life of faithfulness. I know that my obedience is directly proportionate with my love for Jesus. I know I need to love Him more than I do all the time, more and more. I need to love Him with everything in me, not holding anything back. I know that. I agree with that. I want that. But I can't do it. I can't bring it about in my life. Not with any consistency. And neither can you. Right? Our sinful humanity and that self-love that we're so good at, it just keeps getting in the way. There's that good desire. Yes, God, I want to obey you. I want to love you more. I know I need to. I want that. But then the sinful humanity swells up and says, I'm not willing to let go. I love me more than I love him. And there's this struggle constantly, this war and this battle that just rages within us all the time. I mean, it's just like what Paul said in Romans 7. I love Romans seven fifteen through 25. One of the greatest passages in all the Bible. I'm so thankful God, um, by the inspiration you know, of the Holy Spirit, led Paul to be so transparent, so honest, so open there, where he talks about this struggle. He says, I don't understand myself. I don't understand what I do. Because I want to do good. I want to obey God. I want to do right. I want to live righteously. I want to obey God's Word. I agree with all it says. I love it. And yet, what I end up doing is the very opposite of what I want to do. I end up doing the very evil and sin I hate. The very evil and sin God calls out in His Word as being wrong. And I look at it and I read it and I I know it and I say, Amen, yes. That's what I want to be like. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to love you more. I want to obey you. I agree with your word. But then I go over here and my actions are completely the opposite. And he goes back and forth. The good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he struggles and he's going back and forth with this, this wrestling match to which we can all say, yep, yep. That's me. I'm there. And Paul, at the end of that, says, Oh, what a wretched man I am! You know, I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. Who will deliver me from this cycle of death? And then he says, Oh, wait, wait. I remember. I remember. Thanks be to God 
Through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's where the rescue is. There's where the victory is. There's where the consistency is found. And then he says also in Galatians 5.17 something that we can identify with, all of us. Galatians 5.17, he writes this, For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. And compare that with Romans seven fifteen through 25 So that's where we we're at. That is the human Christian experience, right? That's where we live. That's, that's life. But far from being hopeless... Don't see this as, oh, great, thanks, Pastor, appreciate that encouragement. Don't see it as this wall in front of you, like there's no way around that or no way through that. Listen to this incredible promise in God's Word, which is reality for everyone that's truly in Christ. Ezekiel 36, 27. Here's God's promise. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Isn't that good news? This is, this is what we've been talking about all through this series as signs of life, marks of authentic Christianity. We said at the very beginning when we looked at the Ezekiel passage I just read from that we said the very starting point for all of us, the first sign of life, the first mark of authentic Christianity that has to be in place in your life for you to be a true Christian and for you to do anything else that is, is also a mark of authentic Christianity, anything else that are signs of true spiritual life, it has to start here with a new heart and a new life. Because nothing else is possible apart from that. You can't love God and His Word without having a new heart and a new life. You can't um, desire to be more like Him without having a new heart and a new life. You can't have any desire for true obedience without having a new heart and a new life. You're not going to be able to, to have repentance define your life and pursue holiness like we talked about last week without first having a new heart and a new life which is given to you by the Holy Spirit which you receive through committing your life, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Whenever you come to Christ and say, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you came to this earth you lived, you lived a life I never could live, a life of absolute obedience and holiness. And then you took that life and you went to the cross for me. Jesus, I believe that. I know I need you. I can't find anything else or anyone else to give me what I need apart from you. Jesus, here's my life. Take my life. Please live your life in and through mine. Whenever you do that, in all sincerity, at that moment, you are given the very Spirit of God 
to dwell inside you. And in that gift, you have all of the power and the ability and the choosing of laying yourself down, saying no to self and yes to God, of choosing a life of obedience, of choosing to really love God more than you love yourself. And side note, Christian, we don't obey God to get His love and favor. Don't ever think of obedience in that way, which is so easy to fall into the trap of thinking about it. We don't obey God to get His love and favor or goodness in our lives. Because at the moment of salvation, you got all of God's love and favor in your life for all of eternity. You don't need any more. There's nothing more for Him to give you. He gave you all of Himself at the moment of salvation through the Holy Spirit. And so what that means then is all of our obedience is in response to all we've already received through Christ, through His Spirit. And as I go about living my life after becoming a Christian, from that point on in my Christian journey, my Christian walk, as I strive to obey but keep coming up against that wall, as I strive to love Him more but keep coming up empty, we have to remember we can't, but He can. We can't, but He can. In myself, in my nature, in my ability, I, I can't. I just can't do it. But in the Spirit, whom I have through Christ, I can. And He will. Not only can He give us that obedience and, and o- obey through us and love through us, not only can He, but He will. He will empower us to obey like we should out of love if we yield to Him. If we, we apply the power He provides. I mean, when, when you say, Spirit of God, please empower me. Give me your power. Give me your strength. Help me to obey you like I should. Help me to love you like I should. Help me to love Jesus the way I need to and to obey Him with all of my life, which shows that love. Help me, Holy Spirit. He will help you, but it's up to us to apply that power that He provides. We have to choose that. But here's... Here's another really good thing to keep in mind. He helps us with that part too. Not only does He help us by giving us the power, He helps us even in applying that power. You just you have to ask and yield and, and then take what He gives you. There's no source of strength and there's no source of provision like what we have in the Spirit of God. But you only have access to that through giving yourself to Jesus Christ, through receiving His life in your own. And so that becomes the question. That's the question that we have to keep coming back to as we look at the signs of spiritual life, as we look at the marks of authentic Christianity throughout His Word. Because, I mean, this series by no means is exhaustive. You know, we finished next week, (laughs) five weeks, no, no way that I covered all the different marks of authentic Christianity and the signs of, of true spiritual life. There's a lot more for you to, to explore and, and learn and, and discover and dig in 
through His Word. And as we do that, as we look in His Word and we see, okay, yeah, this is a sign of spiritual life. Oh, oh this is a mark of, of authentic Christianity. And, and then we compare that to our lives. The question always comes back to, what did I do with Jesus? Because He's the starting point. That's where real life comes into us. That's, that's where the new heart and a new life and a new mind and a new will, all of it, it, it comes from Jesus. So, have you, have you come to Jesus? I mean, you, right now, right where you are. Don't think about, oh, I've been in church my whole life. I've always gone to church. Don't think about all the Bible verses you know. Don't think about all those Bible songs that you know and can remember like, like I remember. Don't think about all of the people in your family that were Christians and told you about Jesus. In this moment, right now, think about have you come to the living Christ and asked Him to live His life in and through yours? Have you surrendered your life to Him? If so, praise God, you're a new creation. You've been given that new heart, new life, which then enables you by the Spirit you've received to then go about obeying and living out all the other things that do mark you as a set-apart one, a Christian. But if not, if the answer to that question was no, then it doesn't matter how hard you try, how much you strive, how much you even desire to be right, to do right, to do more, it will not happen. Because it's only possible through the Spirit of God, which is only possible to receive by committing yourself fully to the living Jesus. Let's pray. There may be one or two or three or however many that heard everything that was just said through this message and through what I just said, and maybe that strikes a chord. Maybe that's why you were here today. Maybe that's what you needed to hear. <sighs> Father, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for Your Word every day. Thank You that it is truly the living, active Word that is able to go down deep to our very core to expose for us what you know to be true about us. Thank you for loving us enough to point out in your word where we need change and how we need change. But not just pointing it out. You don't just say, oh, here's, your, here's where you're wrong. You're wrong here. You're wrong there. You say, here's where you're lacking. Here's where you're weak. Let me give you the strength and power to change that. You don't just point out our flaws and our weakness. You point out the answer. You point out the remedy. And it all ultimately starts with Jesus. And so, Father, I pray if there is anyone here that has not yet yielded their life to your Son as their Lord and Savior, please, may, may right now be the time where that happens. For all the rest of us who have done that, we've yielded our lives to Jesus. We are in Him. We are your sons and daughters. Thank you for that. But Father, 
a life as a Christian is a life at war. It's a life of in, inward struggle and, and inward obedience and dying to self. And we, we come up short from that so many times. Thank you that your grace is there. But Father, we also need to acknowledge that. We need to, to admit where we fail and admit our, our idolatries and admit uh, our self-love and repent of that and, and go forward with you in newness again. And so however that is needed in our midst today, please do that work in us by your Spirit. I thank you for all that you're doing right now, all that you're going to continue to do in us and through us for your glory, for our good. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.